Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Brilliant. We're in Ephesians 1 today. So do you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 1? Um, I heard someone say once, he said that when, when you're um, meditating on Scripture, you're reading Scripture, it's like you're, you're gathering firewood. You're gathering firewood, and then, then one day it might be you've been reading the same verse for, for 10 years, and suddenly God, it's like he throws the match on it, and suddenly it goes, Phew. and that revelation that you've, you've been waiting for suddenly just comes alive in your heart. And, and my prayer tonight, I think that this passage, there's going to be a lot in here that we've, we've heard before. Um, so you can probably put that off just for the moment. Thank you. Um, there's going to be a lot in here that we've, that we've heard before. But my prayer is just that the Holy Spirit would come and breathe on what I'm saying, that he would be the one teaching us tonight. So why don't I pray as we get going. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. You who search the deep things of God and give them to us. We ask that you would come and breathe life into these words. That these, would be more, these would be more than just words on a page. These would be more than just things that we, that we listen to, but these would be truths that go deep in our heart tonight. That these would be truths that go deep in our hearts and bring life to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, I meant to do my introduction. I'm Tom, for those who don't know me. I'm one of the worship pastors here, married to Melissa. Um, it's so good to be with you tonight. Um, Jesus said, he said, we are the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. We're called to be culture changers, not to be led by the value system of the culture, but actually to lead the culture into the value system of the kingdom to lead the culture into the value system of the kingdom, to live according to what is valuable in heaven, not according to what's va- valuable here on earth. I w- it, it, imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment that you're like some, some ethereal being and you've come to visit the earth for a few hundred years and you're just looking on and you're kind of studying how humans live and how we do life. I think you'd be forgiven, you know, getting to the end of a few hundred years for just, you've studied humans, and you're like, why do, these, why do these people do what they do? Like, why do these people fight over things that they can't keep? Why do these people spend all their money and all their time on things that will one day perish? I think you'd be looking on and you'd just say, why, why do these people act as though everything they do has purpose when in the end everyone dies. <laughs> and that sounds a bit morbid, but, but it, it's kind of when, when you peel back the layers of what our culture teaches us is valuable, you start to realize you, you kind of end up with a very pertinent question, which is what, what, what is the point? <laughs> what is the purpose of this all? You know, we're raised, we're told we'll go to school so you can get good qualifications, so you can get a good job, so you can make money, so you can get a mortgage, so you can buy a house, so you can raise a family, so you can retire and live comfortably. At which point, 
at which point you die, and everything you've worked for, you lose. You know, at which point everything that you've worked so hard to get ceases to be yours. You know, I could go out tomorrow and buy myself a Tesla. Well, I couldn't go and buy myself a Tesla because I don't have the money. But if someone gave me a Tesla, you know, I can tell you with certainty that one of two things is going to happen. Either the Tesla's going to die or I'm going to die. Like, in the end, we come up with one of life's biggest questions. Like, is there more? Surely there's got to be more than this. Surely there's got to be more. If we live by the value system of the culture, we end up with this question that just says, is this it? Is this it? Do I really just want to spend a life pursuing things that will one day perish? There's a really um, interesting passage in, in Numbers 18. You've got Israel have been in, in Egypt for 400 years. They've been slaves in Egypt, and God has led them out. We know the story of Moses and the Red Sea. He's led them out, and they're now um, on their way to, to the, this, the promised land of Israel that God has been repeatedly promising to all their descendants, I will give you this land. I will give you this land as an everlasting possession. Um, and it's so interesting. You get this passage in Numbers where God he starts talking about how Israel are going to divide up the land. You know, there's the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's saying, okay, this is how you're going to divide up the land when you get there. All except one tribe, the tribe of Levi. And he says to the tribe of Levi, oh, by the way, guys, you're not getting any land. You're not getting a share in the land because I'm, I'm your share. I'm your inheritance. I'm your portion. I think if you wanted the tribe of Levi, you'd be like, are you serious? We spent 400 years slaves in Egypt, and now you're telling us we're not getting any land. And all the other tribes are. Um, we'll be familiar with a passage in, in Luke 5 where Jesus is teaching, and there's a man that's lowered through the roof, the paralyzed man, and everyone's like, Jesus is going to heal him. And, and spoiler alert, Jesus does. But, but the first thing that Jesus does, he doesn't say get up and walk. He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. I think both these passages, they, they hint at something, which is that there is more to life than what culture would tell us. There are treasures available to us beyond what we see and can touch in this life. And in the passage we're going to look through today, Ephesians 1, I think Paul is, Paul is talking about these kind of things. He refers to these spiritual blessings. I, I kind of think of that as like heavenly treasure. He's talking about all the heavenly treasure that we've been given in Christ. And so as we just go through this passage, I mean, I honestly, I don't have anything clever to say. It's like, I'm just going to, I just want to talk the passage and I just want to say truths and I just pray that as I do, the Spirit's going to come and set them on fire as we receive them. Because as I said, it's, I, I don't have anything clever. I've just got, got God's word and I trust that the Spirit will do the rest. But I believe that God just wants to excite us again. I believe that he wants to just take these things and just remind us of the glory of the gospel. I think he wants to remind us of just the treasure that we have. He wants to remind us of how rich we are. So in Ephesians 1, let's just go straight into this. Ephesians 1, we're going to start at verse 3. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I'll be honest, I've been studying this the last few weeks and I still don't really understand this. You know, he's, uh, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I, that, that term spiritual blessing, heavenly treasure, 
things of the Spirit that God has given us. And if the Spirit is of God and God is of eternity, then these blessings, they're not going to die after 70 or 80 years. They're not going to perish. There are blessings available to us that God has given us that will endure beyond this life. Isn't that the most amazing thought? That there are, there's treasure accessible to us now that will endure for billions of years to come. There's treasure available to us. And, and I love that, just again, every spiritual blessing. I'm like, what are these spiritual blessings? I, wanna, I, I can't begin to list, to list them. You know, there's a few that we'll look through, but every spiritual blessing, not just a few. God's like, have it all. Have it all. Everything in my house is yours. Verse four, he says, for he chose us, for God chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Isn't that the most amazing thought that before I even, before we did anything on this earth, before you were even a baby in your mother's womb, you had a purpose. Before this earth even existed. God had a purpose for us. Isn't that the most amazing reality? You know, we, we go through life seeking for what is my purpose in life? And Paul's like, you had a purpose before you were even conceived. Your purpose was to be holy and blameless in God's sight. He desired you. He wanted you to be set apart for him. He desired you before the world began. He thought of us and he said, I want these people. I want these people. I want them to be set apart for me. I want them to be mine. God wants you to be his. He wants you to be his. And it just keeps getting better. Next verse, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I love that he's, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. It's more than just that we're kind of a, like a, a trophy in God's trophy cabinet. He's called us to be sons and daughters. And when Paul says that adopted to sonship, Paul's not being sexist, but what he, he's making a reference to the culture. In that, in that culture, it was the sons that inherited everything. It was the sons that got everything of the father. So he's saying, actually, all of us, whatever your background, whatever, male or female, Jew or Gentile, we all of us get everything. We all of us get everything. We have been appointed as sons, adopted into his family. I recently um, were around my, my most of you probably know my parents, hello. Um, we, I was round, round the house route a few weeks back and they had a number of guests there as well. And it, it was just really funny. It just struck me at that moment. You know, you've got all these like 10 people that are there and you, you know, going into this house that they've maybe not, not so familiar with. And there's that thing of, oh, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave them on? You know, where do I put my coat? I go in, can I make myself a cup of tea? Like all these kind of questions. And it just struck me as I was walking and I was like, this is where I grew up. This is my home. You know, I'm just, yeah, I've open the cupboard, put my shoes in, great, make myself a cup of tea. Oh, by the way, I need to make a phone call. I'm just going down to the room. You know, and it just struck me, that feeling of home, when you're in that place, and you're like, this is all mine. This, this is all, you know, I, I, I belong here. 
And it's that same thing for us, that God, God wants us not to be strangers in his house. We're called to be more than just strangers who can attentively knock the door and say, oh, should I take my shoes off or leave them on? He's like, come on in, this is all yours. Come on into my house and enjoy every single room. Go exploring, it's all yours. He says in, in Romans 8, Paul says that we are co-heirs with Christ. I mean, that just blows my mind. We're co-heirs with Christ, the Son of God, and we've been appointed as co-heirs. Everything that God has given Jesus, we get to share in as well. And we did nothing for it. We did nothing for it. And um, by, Paul just says, in, in love, he predestined us. In love, he predestined us. God loves and treasures us. He loves in accordance with his pleasure and will. I, I love that, in accordance with his pleasure. It's not that God has done this begrudgingly. God delighted to bring us into his family. And it's more than that. It's one of the most amazing truths, I think, in the Bible, that God loves you the way he loves Jesus. When you turn to the person next to you and say, God loves you the way he loves Jesus. Isn't that just the most mind-boggling thought? That the way the Father loves the perfect Son, Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, Father, I pray that the love you have for me would be in them. He says in John 15, the way that you've loved me, I have loved them. We are loved with the same depth of love. But God loves Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm well aware of how far short I fall of the standards of Jesus. And yet we're loved in the same way. Let's, I, could, I mean, I could just keep going, but I think I probably ought to, otherwise we'll be all here all night. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches, riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Again, this is it. We, we have redemption. Every wrong thing we have ever done is no longer held against us. Our account is just wiped clean. We can approach God with confidence. We can approach that day of judgment with confidence, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus, which we plead. We plead the righteousness of Jesus, and he's done it all for us. And everything is wiped away. We get to experience the joy of salvation and the joy of knowing our sins have been washed away through nothing that we did but because of the grace of God that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I don't know if you ever find yourself like in the midst of everything going on in the news, you ever find yourself just feeling like this story feels out of control. This world feels out of control and it feels like we are just headed towards destruction. I mean, you know, but Paul says here, we've been invited in. We no longer have to just like watch the movie hoping that it ends well. God's given us the script. <laughs> He's given us the script. He's like, I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm telling you 
how it started, how it's, end, how it's going, and how it's going to end so that you can have confidence. And this is, this is how it's going to end. God is going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ because of what Christ has done. I, I think back to the Garden of Eden, this perfect place. It was a place on earth that God walked in. He said that God used to walk in the cool of the day. And I think it was, it was like this touching, this meeting point of heaven and earth in perfect unity. And Paul says, you know what? One day that's going to be the whole earth through Christ. The whole earth in beautiful unity. We're not, um, I, will, I can tell you now with confidence, we're not all going to be wiped out by nuclear war. <laughs> it says right here, God is going to bring heaven down to earth and bring unity. And we get to dwell with him. We've been brought into his plans. I want to keep on going. In him, verse 11, in Christ we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This verse just, it, it brings to mind this picture of like, you know, an, an artist who's, who's in his room and he's like set up his canvas and he's going to paint this like amazing picture. And then he goes off maybe to get himself a drink and his three-year-old son comes in and like sees all the paints is like, ooh, you know, and starts kind of putting it and then just starts going on the canvas, like all these things. And so the artist comes back in and he's like, oh my word, my canvas is suddenly filled with like handprints and random colors that I didn't want. But I love this. Paul says, God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This artist is so talented. He's able to take even these random splodges that his three-year-old son did and turn it into a masterpiece so that you look on it and you would think that those were deliberate. God is so good, and there's nothing we can do that could ever come against the will of God. He uses everything, even our mistakes. He turns into beautiful things, even the things we get wrong, like those splodges. He, he's able to work with it. He's so wise. He's able to work with it so that it even looks deliberate. Verse 12, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. What an honor to live for the praise of the glory of the universe, to carry the glory of God that people could look at us and say, you look like God. That there could be a treasure, as Paul writes in other places, a treasure in this jar of clay. What greater glory. You know, you think if you're represented to, called up to represent the king in something, that'd be like no higher honor in this land. And Paul says, actually, we're called to represent the king of kings, the king of all kings. And finally, verse 13, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know, the Christian faith, it, it really is, it's an all-in or all-out kind of faith. We're called to a life, we're either all-in or all-out. And in one sense, it's the biggest gamble you'll ever make in your whole life putting all your eggs in the basket named Jesus. But actually, it's, it's the best gamble you could ever make because you know you're going to win. 
And Paul says that we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that all of these things will one day be ours. We don't have to worry about the future. We don't have to worry that God will keep his word. He's given us his very spirit and his very person inside of us so that we can know him, so that we can trust that every word he has said will come to fulfillment. Marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I love it. But you, you, might be here, you might be thinking like, well, Tom, this is, this is great, but how does this, how does this help me pay, pay the bills? How does this help me in this broken relationship? How does this help me as I go through life with all the things that go wrong, as I'm, I'm late on my mortgage payments, I'm about to lose my job, I'm going through all of these things, how does this help me? One of the most, I think, contradictory sounding things about peace and joy is that actually if you, if you go after peace and joy, you're never going to find them. If you go after, if you set out to say, I am going to go after joy, you're never going to find it. You might find glimpses of it. I think at the heart of every human more than our desire just for, you know, we're, we're kind of in this culture, right, that teaches us that we should desire nice stuff, that we should desire to be rich, to be fulfilled, to do what makes us happy, all these things. Um, and, and don't, you know, I'm not knocking having a house. I mean, I appreciate having a, having a flat that we live in. Um, but, but I think even deeper than all of these things, God has given us, there is a desire, a longing in each person for something far deeper. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize actually that's the reason none of these things satisfy. It's the reason that none of these things satisfy because we have a deeper longing in us that cannot be met by the things of this world. And there's a deep longing in every single one of us to belong, to be accepted, to be loved, to be known, to have a purpose. I think we see it in every single person, whether they'd realize it or not. We, we go after things that will, that will give us a sense of value. We go after things that will give us a sense of identity, a sense of belonging. We like hanging out with a certain group of people because we feel accepted. At the heart of it, every single human on earth wants to know that they are loved and valued and special. And the, the, the sad thing is that you know, to, base, to base my value and identity on something of this world is to base my value on something that will one day lose all its value. <laughs> to build my life upon things of this earth is to essentially say that I'm no, I'm no better than ashes and dust, which is what everything will, will one day become. And yet what Paul said in this passage is God has given us an even greater treasure. There is treasure available to us that goes far beyond the things of this world. There is treasure available to us. And as we go after, it's not, about, it's not, like, it's not that we go after these things, but as we go after God, as we put our roots down in him, as we set ourselves to say, I'm not going to live according to the values of the culture I'm not going to let that define what I go after and what I put emphasis on. 
as I come out of that and say, I'm going to value the things that God values. I'm going to value the things that he values. And actually, I'm going to, I'm going to build my life on the things of the kingdom. As we do that, there's a joy there's a peace, there's a hope that comes and settles on us and lives in us that goes far deeper than anything this world could give us. These heavenly treasures that God gives, they not only endure into eternity, but they completely affect our lives now. They bring us hope. They bring us hope as we go through trials, as we go through things that are difficult, knowing that one day things will be better. As we go through that situation where everything around us is screaming, you're not wanted, you're not valued, we can come back to God's word and say, that's not true. I know that I'm valued. When we lose our job and and just that sense of what am I doing with my life? What is the purpose we can be assured that there was a purpose on our life long before we were born. As I said at the start, I feel like we've, we've just gone through a passage and I've really just read it to you. But I, I just pray that as we, as we go from here, I would just encourage you, like, take these things to God. Take these things to God and say, God, show me more. Show me more. I want to know, know more than just up here. You know, it's very easy to know things up here. But actually, it's time with God, time in his presence, that they start making their way down here and we start living it and we start believing it. And I can promise you that there is no better way to live than according to the things of heaven. There is no greater pursuit than this man, Jesus. I'm just going to write the band up as we finish. Um, I'm just, then this talk, I'm just thinking, isn't God amazing? I just read this passage and like, God, you know, the, the, ser- the sermon title, which, which, uh, which we're talking about, we're just in a series on the generosity of God. Isn't God utterly generous? He's given all of us all of these things. He's given us everything. And all we had to do was simply say yes to his son, Jesus. And so I wonder if we could stand just as we finish. And I just feel like there's, there's space maybe for, for us just to, to respond differently. There might be some of you who you're just like hearing this. It's like, oh my, there's just like love and joy and gratitude just pouring out of you. And I just encourage as we worship, just release it. Just release it back to God. There might be some of you that, that this is like brand new. Like, oh my word, I had no idea how rich I am. I had no idea how rich I am in Christ. I just encourage you, talk to God about it. Thank God as we worship. Just, just think of these things and, and turn it back to him. There might be some of you here that, that you, you're thinking, oh my, well, I've, I've been living according to the wrong value system. Maybe you're, you're here tonight and thinking, man, I've just been putting my time and energy into all these things that are not necessarily bad, but they're secondary. They're lesser. And maybe tonight God is, is just calling. I'd encourage you to, to respond to God in that way, to look and say, God, I want to center myself on, on this reality that you've called me to. I want to center my life on the things of the kingdom. 
And I want to let go of the, the pursuit of all the things that this culture holds dear. And maybe there are some of you that you're listening is that I want this. Maybe there's some of you that say, I, I don't know this man, Jesus, but, but I want to, and I want this. The words in Christ or in him appear. I, I lose track. It's like every sentence, Paul just keeps coming back. It's in Christ, in Christ. And I just encourage you, if you're in that place where you're like, I, I want that. Come and find someone to pray with. Come and find myself or John or someone at the back on the prayer team and let's do it. All it is, it's just saying yes to Jesus. We give our yes to Jesus and we get all the riches of heaven. And as I say, I, I, don't, I still don't feel like I understand what all the riches are, but I, I just pray, I, you know, my pursuit is God, I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. So God, we, we want to know what are the riches of heaven. God, we want to thank you for your generosity. We want to thank you for the riches of your grace that you have lavished on us. We want to thank you for everything you have given us, for the treasure that you have given us that goes far beyond this world. And so God, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you better. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and your incomparably great power for us who believe. God, we want to know you. We want to know you, God. More than anything, we want to know you. We want to know you. Thank you, God.